This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast. Powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We are delighted to bring you season four of Driven by Data, the podcast. And our aim remains exactly the same, to bring you some of the most respected and recognized thought leadership figures from the world of data analytics to share their knowledge, ideas, use cases, and insights across how they've tackled some of the industry's most trending topics and challenges. All that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season four. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Lindsay Ware, who is the Chief Analytics and Insight Officer at Barilla Group. So, Lindsay, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be part of this. I've been listening to these podcasts now for a long time and never thought I'd be a guest on one of these. So <laughs> no, thank you. It's all right. Pleasure is uh, is all ours. I'm really looking forward to this uh, this conversation. So I guess being a, an avid listener, Lindsay, you know where we always start by uh, asking our guests to give themselves a, a brief intro into their background and I guess journey up until this point in time, if, uh, if you'd be so kind. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't have a very traditional background um, when it comes to data or analytics and insights. I actually started, um, I read history at university, University of Birmingham. And after that, I tried a myriad of roles from working in a hotel up in remote Scotland and writing game articles, um, reviewing PlayStation and Xbox games and all of the above, even teaching English as a second language for a little while in Belgium. And I realized that honestly, I was not brilliant at any of them, but I was okay at the copywriting and the research. (laughs) And that led me into a job where I started to do a lot of research for a website and SEO agency. So this is a long time ago where the good keyword research and a a solid article could get you the top place in Google. And I I really enjoyed it. I liked the writing, but I loved the research and the technical side in all of the back end. From there, I I actually took a role as a digital marketing manager. And um, here I learned a lot around the worlds of commercials and marketing. And I had some incredible mentors uh, a lady called Helen who really pushed me to learn a lot more about the area and as a manager of my time taught me everything around I could know about marketing but it, it let me get more technical so I was doing everything from the website back end to the Google Analytics setup and I really liked this and so I thought mm, this this could be the way I go maybe I'm not a marketing person maybe I'm a, a technical person at heart so I joined Nestle in their IT um, teams. I spent a good few years there working in Nestle in everything from their Google stack setup, website hosting, working with the security scanning teams. And it was a real broadening of my knowledge and career. 
But the data part for me really stood out. I absolutely loved in the Google stacks and the meta setup back then when it was just Facebook insights, learning everything I could, especially around what they were doing in marketing and commercial. Then their CMO uh, plucked me from that team and I covered a maternity cover in the marketing team again. And he said, you've set up some great stuff, but you need to get marketers to use it. So that's when I went back into marketing and got them to really adopt the technical elements. Fast forward a long career at Nestle, uh, where I eventually ended up in Switzerland. And I, for their Global HQ, looked after data and analytics. Um, and really, again, I was always that bridge between technical, commercial and marketing, trying to understand the business use cases, but also the technical know-how in order to build solutions that would get used by the business to drive growth. At that time, I also started to learn more around data privacy. I don't think you can be in this area without a concrete understanding. So I did my postgraduate uh, certification in data privacy law um, at that time. And then I got a really brilliant opportunity to move to Barilla Group. Um, in the last uh, three years, I've had two children <laughs> and I joined Barilla, who is an incredible employer for people with families um, and there I've been supporting again this role of driving analytics and insight adoption as well as marketing technologies in order to drive growth so it's been a it's not been a standard career it's not at all got a, a normal background I don't have a single stem qualification but I I've just through self-learning, working hands-on with my teams and a real, just, I guess, constant want to know more about this area, had had a really exciting career in it. So today I'm Chief Analytics and Insight Officer at Barilla Group, but my mission's not changed from day one, which is just understanding the so what behind the data and using it to drive drive growth and change. Yep. Nice. Well, as you very rightly pointed out, not the traditional route to being a chief analytics and an insight officer, for sure. And um, I'm really keen to talk about the STEM thing in a second, but I guess just for making sure that everyone's got context about Barilla and who Barilla are and, and I guess what you do as an organisation, just tell us a little bit about the organisation, if you would. Of course. So Barilla Group is a uh, multinational CPG company. We have products across the globe, starting with, of course, our incredible pasta. So we have many ranges from the brilliant classic blue box through to our premium Albronzo range. But we also have a fantastic and sizable bakery arm with the Molino Bianco, um, Harry's Bakery, and most recently the Back to Nature in the US products as well as a booming condiments line, including our pesto and ready sources range. We have some brilliant D2C businesses, including a majority stake in the Pastor Evangelist company in the UK, and the most recently launched, very new, one-month-old Atavi business, which is our most premium pasta to date, um, soon to be available in Harrods, but now available online. So it's a real diverse um organization with i think at its core just excellent premium food products 
yeah nice well i mean i've always wondered what you know what what do you have to do to sell pasta at harrods um and you could you, <laughs> a long way from where i uh from where i get my pasta Lindsay, that's for sure but um yeah i'm sure you could tell us a little <laughs> bit about that another time um so obviously you've had a, as we discussed a, quite an interesting journey to, to to where you are obviously to move from where you started at that kind of website organization you know doing the the, the kind of seo type of stuff then to land at a business like nestle and now Birilla, obviously, you know, there's the connection there between Nestle and, and, and Birilla, right? But in terms of, was there a, and this is more out of curiosity than anything else, but was there a kind of clearly defined scope for you when you joined Birilla as to, this is what we want you to do, Lindsay, or was it more of, let me come in and help you define what you should be looking at here? Oh, that's a good question. It, it's a real mix of both. So Barilla has a really well-established, thanks to great leadership within their IT division, um, it had a great established data um, foundational program in terms of analytics, um, strong infrastructure and building a really robust um, roadmap when it comes to everything from their data lake and more. My mandate was to come in and help bring for initially the marketing space a culture of advanced analytics and business adoption. Now, that's where I spent my first two and a half years because, of course, you've got to prove the value in what you're doing before bringing anything shiny, advanced, new, complex into the organization. And now together in partnership with the group IT, we are spreading this across the, the other functions within Barilla and driving more of a cross-functional adoption. So no longer having analytics tools by silos, so finance, supply, and so on, but analytics as an organizational-wide cross-functional engine to drive growth. Mm, yeah, okay, fair enough, makes makes sense. When you were talking there in the introduction, you talked about not having a traditional kind of, you know, no STEM qualification at all. Um so I want to get your perspective on this. So I was speaking with um, a CDO of a large insurance organization the other day about diversity. And we got onto the fact that um, there seems to be this narrative in the industry that we need to get more women or more diverse groups into STEM as though that's the solution to the diversity problem. But, you know, as exhibit A sat in front of me here, um, you don't have to necessarily have had a STEM background to get into our industry or be successful in our industry right so um do you think that that has helped you kind of in your career journey by maybe not coming from the traditional route as it were i think it's it's absolutely helped um but i think the key thing that i see in a lot of people in the leadership roles within this area is uh an understanding that it's less about perhaps what you've done and more about what you can do and that can-do attitude. And so I regularly, when I'm looking to hire people within my team, I think it's incredibly important to have a very diverse workplace and promote people and give opportunities regardless of their background. And instead, I really look for someone who shows that willingness to always learn, always discover new things and drive change. And if they've got that appetite within them, 
I know the technical side can be learned. Now, I'm not discounting that STEM people are not valuable either. And in my team, we've got a real mix of both because I need people who technically have spent a long time learning the in and out of solutions to help us build the best quality world-class solutions in-house. But in parallel, I need people who can understand this, but also understand whether it's commercial, business or finance to help drive the adoption of the tool. So I think it absolutely helped me, but because I had a bit of that constant appetite to learn and discover more. And in parallel, I think organizations are starting to really put female role models as well at the front and center of a lot of what they're doing for girls now earlier than you previously have seen. I don't think many people understand that when you've got a degree, what you can really do with it. They see history, history teacher. That was what I saw. They see um, math. Okay, I'm going to become an accountant. It's sometimes important to bring examples of career paths and that way earlier in the stage to young to young people so that they can make decisions to say, oh, I might not have this, but this is where I can go by doing X, Y, and Z and speaking to certain people. And actually the organization Women in Data are doing great things here. They've they've set up a girls in data initiative that is about going to schools and really from an early age talking about the diversity in workplace and what what you can do if you choose STEM. And what you can do, even if you don't choose STEM. And I think that's super key. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree more. Um, I've, I've told this story a million times on this podcast, so you may have well have heard it before. Um, I'll, <laughs> I'll say it again. I'll try to condense it. But So I do a lot of public speaking at various universities to help raise the profile of data as a career option, right? And um, there's one particular program that's um, part of something called the Q-Step, which is a, a, a government-backed UK-wide initiative where um, they basically for all intents and purposes, bolt on a data analytics accelerator slash program to a social sciences faculty. So it could be sociology, criminology, psychology, but it's the data aspect of of that. Um, and I'll go and stand in that auditorium. You know, there's hundreds of people there. It's probably the most diverse group of people I've ever seen in terms of gender, background, religion, ethnicity, whatever the case may be. Um, and these people are absolutely gobsmacked that there is a potential career option for them in a commercial organization. You know, so when I'm, you know, obviously we're based here in Manchester. So when I say, well, actually, did you know that Boohoo around the corner, you know, very stereotypical, I apologize, but, you know, a brand that probably a lot of these people buy and purchase products and and, and stuff from, that they might be interested in hiring your skill set and do that quite a lot, actually. And that kind of blows their mind, which is really interesting when the flip side of that conversation is that, you know, we talk about, well, there's a talent shortage. There's not enough people at the top, you know, the top of the funnel to meet the demand of our industry and so on and so forth. And to, to your point, they look at this as well. OK, I'm doing this degree. I've got this data and analytics accelerator program bolted on type of thing. So maybe I'll do something within data as a psychologist or as a criminologist or as a sociologist, right? Um, and it's like, no, no, actually, you could walk into a whatever, Pets at Home, a Booking.com, a Talk Talk, <laughs> whatever, right? Yeah. Any other big business up, up here is an example. Um, so that's, that's really fascinating. Um, I guess from a data leadership perspective then, 
Um, and I think, you know, most organizations historically have probably been fairly guilty of looking at this very one dimensionally in terms of, you know, uh, this is a technical competence and they go and hire technical people. And, and I think as we're discussing and we have discussed many times over, that is definitely getting better. Now there's a realization and an acceptance yeah. that it doesn't, you know, not every data analytics team needs to have a hundred percent technical competence. You know, it, there's other, other facets to, to it in terms of being successful, but in your eyes as someone that's, you know, had a very interesting and very different career, but obviously reaching the, the kind of the top of the game, so to, to speak, what do you think as a data leader, you need, you need to be able to do, or what are the skills that you need to have to succeed as the landscape sits today? So first and foremost, I think you really need to be able to think in a strategic way, both long-term and short-term for the organization. And I think it's quite difficult as a data leader because you need to possess, almost be a bit of a chameleon and immerse yourself in every function within a company, whether it's from the commercial side to customer side, right through to HR, so that you know what are the key challenges and what needs to be done to help drive the growth. And I think it's it's about being able to pair yourself with the day-to-day. So how can data help unlock growth day in and day out within the organization? But also how do we unlock growth at a fewer, bigger, better, long-term strategic perspective? based on where the company's going and how do I remain above the noise of the day-to-day and make sure what we're doing, whilst maybe not sexy and and, an instant win, helps with the long-term impacts and brings a lot of um, credit, I guess, for the, the data analytics products. So that ability to think strategically long and short term, the ability to get to know the people within the organization and their challenges and think like them is is key. And additionally, I think the, the ones that are often overlooked is communication and collaboration. I really think a huge majority of my role, it maybe should be called chief bringing people together um, <laughs> instead, because really I'm about finding what's the business issue or what's our long-term business goal okay, how do we tackle that with data? But then most importantly, how do we get people to use what we've built that can then embed it? And if you miss that last part, you don't drive the right communication, you don't drive the right adoption, and you can't get people on board, you will never succeed. And so I'd say if anyone's looking to step into an area like this, the three things you need to put huge amounts of emphasis on is your people and communication skills, your collaboration. So it's all we, it's never me in this role and problem solving. You need to make sure you can help bring the right lens externally and bring not just solutions, but insights and adoption from those solutions that drive business growth. To me, that mm. that's key. Of course, though, you do still need some technical acumen. I think if I couldn't look into the solutions, support my team, um, I was doing a Google Analytics report on e-commerce sales the other day because they were so busy. So if you still can't pitch in and unlock the solutions yourself, again, you 
aren't going to know enough of the technical side to provide the right solution or get the support from your team either. So it's a constant balance and it's about making sure you, you've got both. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think you, you touched on a, a really interesting point there around thinking strategically both short and long term, right? Because I think what I've seen happen in many organizations under the banner of this notion of kind of quick wins, right, in quotation marks, is that often that strategic alignment to the short term often gets missed, you know, so there's kind of a view of right long term, this is where we're going. But in the short term, we need to provide value quickly. So we need some quick wins. So whatever, whatever that is, just get something on the board, right, as a as a, as a tick. Um, but often, if it's not, you know, if it's not driving towards the long term as well, then it doesn't really add value, right? So it's kind of this weird, weird, weird mashup. And I think the the point about being a chameleon is very interesting because you know we're we're now getting more dragged into these conversations around really the role of the chief data analytics officer or whatever it's titled in a certain organisation is about adding value, providing value through the lens of data analytics for that organisation and fueling growth and transformation, etc. But, you know, yeah, it's got to be it's got to be aligned to that strategy and value is in the beauty or in the eyes of the beholder. Right. You know, so what valuable is to the CEO is very different to the chief marketing officer or the chief finance officer because they all have their own drivers. So being able to understand that and still have bring all that together. So you're still heading in the right direction strategically, but the values being almost articulated in a way that serves the purpose of, of each function, which is is really interesting. Um, I know that you talk a lot about the notion of so what, which I really yeah. want to <laughs> get get into. And that was when, you know, when we first had the initial conversation around, you know, having put, putting this together, you, you that kind of came across and you emphasize that a, a number of times. Um, I guess, how do we then, as a data analytics leadership community, how do we better integrate the insights from analytics directly into the decision-making process that drives you know, tangible business growth? It's such a good question. And like you said, it's something I'm so, so passionate about to the point that I'm going to get some stamps made with so what, so I can just take them around with me or t-shirts or something and throw them out um, when I'm at data conferences. But I I genuinely believe, and um, I was really fortunate um, when I joined Barilla to merge together our more traditional insights team that's filled with great expertise and deep business acumen with our analytics and data team. And together, they've made almost a powerhouse of insights that can take us from, okay, strategically, this is where we need to go. So here's the analytics solutions we're going to build. But then how can we still have a almost translation or middleman service between the outputs we build and the business receiving them to make sure we help on that adoption journey? Because nothing's ever going to be incredibly smooth in a change management or new solution way of working. So for me, this is key. And I'm always saying to my team, because I've got some incredible data scientists that I'm so fortunate to work with day in and day out, but I'm always saying to them, please, if you can't build a Ferrari of um, data science, if we've got no one in the organization who can drive it and no one who knows where they're going. And where they're going is the most key part because you're going to build a very different car if they want to get to the North Pole 
than if they're going to be driving through the mountains of Austria, for example. So I'm always asking them, so what? If they come to me with a great idea, if the teams come to me with something they want to build because they think they can solve it, I'm forever saying, so what? And we've really step-changed the way we even deliver analytics to the business now. We don't deliver charts. We don't deliver dashboards. We rarely deliver anything you would normally expect from a data team. We deliver a one-pager with the so what. This is what we've seen. This is what we've observed. And then the final column is, so what? What do we do next? And we've just taken all of the technical part out and weaved in a lot of storytelling to help us drive that decision making. And that's where people come on board because nobody's going to get excited about a 400 deck PowerPoint of charts you've screenshotted from Power BI and pasted in with 100 reading notes. And even more so, people are rarely going to go into the solution and find out how to read it themselves. So it's always about pushing that and thinking, yes, you might have made an incredible in-house econometrics tool with a predictive simulator in our shiny and it can do brilliant things but what the marketing team need today is okay so what on a one pager they can take into their brand planning meeting and so that's what I'm always trying to do think about when do they need this information in what format to drive change and making sure we've got a combination of skills in the team that can go from raw data through to the so what to then give to the business to add their knowledge and art on top to drive business growth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's really interesting, but makes a whole heap of of sense. Um, was that di- out of interest? Was that different to how maybe the leadership team that you now present to in that way was that different to how they used to receive their insights previously? I think with always kind of Barilla is a very large company. So within there, there's always pockets of difference and change and there's pockets of normality. So I'd say for the majority, yes, we are doing things differently today in the way they receive things. And we have step changed a lot in how we're delivering. Um, And actually the rise of generative AI has helped us even more in this area because we're now being able to utilize this technology to generate a lot of the so what out of our reports, especially for marketing insight and research, which is really helping. So I'd say it is different to when I first joined, but again, that's purely through test, learn and adoption and driving change. And the whole organization has really come on this journey together. Are you ready to accelerate from data-aware to data-driven? Look no further than Dufresne, the data company that's changing the game for businesses like yours. With a global footprint and one of the largest teams of data professionals in the UK, we specialise in helping organisations make the best use of their data, allowing you to harness hidden insights and accelerate your customer experience, growth and run your business with informed decisions. We don't just help you govern and manage data. We help you become AI ready. We become your critical friend. We advise, we translate, we deliver, we execute. With over 100 enterprise clients over five years, join the list of forward-thinking data leaders who are making data a priority for their business. Visit Dufresne.co.uk today and talk to us about our insights across the data landscape. Dufresne, where data meets our data pioneers. Nice. Yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah, I get, it, it fascinates me because I think uh, sometimes I wonder whether because obviously I 
run a business do i think naturally very commercially about this type of stuff and i think i do right that's why to me you know we get into debates on linkedin and stuff and it's like yeah look i completely understand what you're saying but ultimately it comes down to the business making a decision which makes them better at what they do and how they quantify that is typically to do with something around a a, a dollar a pound or euro sign right or mitigating yeah. risk so they don't get fined or whatever the case may be so um yeah it's it's really interesting but obviously you know you see these arguments or debates happen often where it's like well we're not the ones that made the decision so should we be held accountable but evidently there you've just explained a way to help make that decision you know help integrate insights into the decision making process so that more times than not the work that you do gets used right which is is really fascinating was that a big piece of work in itself out of interest like you know integrating that in that way was that kind of a a purpose-led adoption technique if you want to call it that so it was work but not a huge piece of work so i believe that the appetite for this was in place and over the last six months we've been really working to step changes so it's come from a place of collaboration and it wasn't a kind of initial revolution we started small so for some of the biggest reports that were delivered to the company we started to just migrate slowly to this template and get the feedback and sense test it first because nobody wants a huge change overnight um and by making sure we did that little and often and getting strong feedback from the new way of working collaboration again it's all about people communicating explaining why we're doing this it it brought people on board and the more feedback we got and the more the businesses advocated for this the the better we could drive it yeah 100 percent makes perfect sense cool um from your perspective then I, I guess there's always a a balance to be struck right from a data leadership standpoint in terms of there's always an element of the role which is going to be focusing on the infrastructure and the tooling to make sure that you can deliver what you need to de- to deliver, um, but also then to your point, understanding the so what behind the analytics and, and the insights. Right? How how have you managed to strike that balance? So step one is your strategy, and I know I keep harping on about this, but if you don't know where you want to go, and it's not aligned with your commercial and business strategy. You have no idea where to start. Too often, CPGs and other big organizations, they read that, I I honestly dread seeing it now, that Economist front page that said data is the new oil, and they started just gathering data, APIing everything in, and deciding what they'd do with it after. I genuinely think that you need your long-term vision, your company vision, and then your data strategy And then if you've got that, it becomes abundantly clear, A, what kind of data you need to collect, B, the infrastructure that needs to support it. So how are you going to access this data? How are you going to store it, catalog it? And then lastly, it gives you very clear um, kind of roadmaps and ground rules on who can access and where this needs to go. So I think it all starts with the plan. Like, Get your plan in action. It will make your life a lot easier. And even if it takes three or four months to get to the plan, fine. Better to start with this. You'll have much kind of bigger wins long term if you do that. 
And then in parallel, you need to make sure you're putting the right amount of effort and energy into this because if you don't have a strong foundation, just like a house, your analytics building's going to crumble. So you need to make sure you've got robust data quality. You're very clear on where the data is coming from. You've got the right data governance. There's a real balance. So if you don't have the right foundation, you're never going to get a tangible so what that drives growth for the business. And in the area of data, quite often one bad so what can crumble all (laughs) of your credibility. And so for me, I'm not going to say a 50-50 balance, but first and foremost, that balance is your strategy. And then when you've got that, you can understand how to build your house. And then when you've got a house that you really think has got strong foundations, the so what will come quickly and easily. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And and I guess it's got to also be linked with the maturity of the stage in the journey that you're at, right? You know, it's like to the analogy of your house, right? You build the foundations and then once it's built, then you can use it. Yeah. right so i guess it's it's very similar in in that respect um but yeah that makes um that makes perfect sense i mean i think you know the the, the example that you use there i see honestly i, I reckon in probably 80 percent of most instances a data analytics journey for most organizations started out as you know something to do with fear of missing out hype you know these little slogans that pop up you know data is the new oil um etc cetera, etc cetera. And, and they dive feet first into well we need to be doing something with this let's just get started with something all right a data platform we're going to need a data platform so let's just build one you know and then that slowly then leads into 24 months later the ceo comes with a handout saying right okay you know you spent two years building this platform it's cost me 10 million pound what, what are we getting exactly. for this right what and it's for this? <laughs> yeah exactly so it's a really interesting um point what then in your opinion are the telltale signs Lindsay? if an organization or you know data leadership capability have kind of got this wrong and had the wrong focus maybe focusing too much on one side or maybe the other for that matter i'd say for me there's there's a huge sign when the business in terms of data analytics and insight is not aligned with the IT and the more technical part of an organization. And you see two streams going in very (laughs) polarizing directions in terms of what they're trying to do. Uh, You might have IT in-house focusing huge amounts on building the best, you know, data architecture and infrastructure and solutions and dashboards. And then you've got the business going out and procuring loads of external solutions um, and causing a, a real heap of mess. Um, so I think here, when you don't have top-down, clear, strategic um, vision and alignment on the balance and someone saying, these teams have to work together on the commercial and the business side plus the technological side to bring it to life, that's where you see one of the biggest places getting it wrong. And you see very siloed, almost like little empires of data that don't work together to then deliver anything tangible. And uh, within Barilla, I'm very fortunate that our group CEO and CIO understands the paramount importance of these functions right from raw data through to analytics and then finally of insight working as one. Too often in big multinational organizations, there are three or four or five different teams without clear leadership. So 
I think that that's huge. And also, I think the second, where I see the most is where the data and analytics function turns into a proof of concept factory. <laughs> and you see so many great, but not scalable things being built. And it might be things that actually, okay, it's novel and it's exciting and it drives a bit of adoption in the short term. But then long term, it's not really driving much business change. And so here as well, it's so important to have the right focus and um, make sure that, again, I go back to it, but collaboration, communication, strategy and problem solving, that's the key way they really need to to get ahead of this. Mm, yeah. So you touched upon there the kind of um and I've referred to it as this many times, but kind of magpie syndrome, which I stole off a previous guest, right? You know, something shiny comes <laughs> along and all of a sudden attention's being um being sought. And um how how do you stop that from happening? How do you almost avoid the obsession with the the, the new shiny tech or tool or toy or whatever it is that that's out there? And I guess um probably part of that probably part of that solution is how do you how do you talk your leadership team down off the ledge right because i appreciate that in many organizations it can be driven by as we outlined before you know the ceo is about ai or you know the business down the road has done this or their competitor has done this and they feel that they have to act because they don't want to be left behind right um, and obviously that can then cause situations where data leadership figures are almost being thrust into having to do something because the CEO is asking for it, but they probably know that it's not aligned with the strategy and the long term and the scalability of it and everything that you've just outlined there. How do you kind of and you know tackle that? Yeah. So first and foremost, I think I personally tackle it because I'm incredibly boring. <laughs> and so from my <laughs> side, um I just love a solid plan, strategy and outcome. Um and this has really helped when it comes to not deviating from the new or the shiny or what else is out there. And actually, I'm going to steal with pride a Pablo Picasso quote, which is the whole great artist copy, a good artist copy, but great artist steal. And quite often, I always bear this in mind when I'm thinking about first to market or people going after the shiny or the big news releases, especially you see in the area, um, we see, we've talked about this around generative AI, where people are constantly trying to do the newest thing or push the boundaries. But just by waiting a little while, we can learn from that, um, adopt, embed when it's um, mature and ready, and then actually tie it into our strategy and long-term win. So I think first and foremost, it, it's making sure you yourself don't get pulled into that hype. And if you really are slightly pulled in, go and look at the Gartner um, hype cycle curves. They'll bring you back to earth very quickly as to where you are today and what you're looking at. But then secondly, in terms of stakeholders, it's again, the, the communication part is key. If you've got a strong strategy and you can explain to them clearly why heading on this course will deliver quantifiable business results with value you can show, and you prove that over time, they will build the trust and they will strongly believe in that vision. And you can quite clearly state then why we should or shouldn't go down an alternate route. Now, that being said, I don't think you should be ever afraid to experiment. I think innovation 
really helps um, push boundaries. It helps with the risk appetite. And it's okay sometimes to risk and be prepared to fail. Um, what I do suggest is that you do it in almost a kind of freedom experiential playground. So within the analytics sphere, you've got your core solutions that you're going to spend 75, 80% of your time building, deploying, and actually getting to the so what. But then of course, 20% of the time should be trying out the new, but doing it in a way that aligns back in places to the, the company's strategic objectives. So with generative AI for us, one of the key first areas was just on knowledge management. Again, the team got to play. They got to get their hands on the new tech. They were looking at how they could embed it. We are Microsoft and one partners for um, OpenAI in Italy. So it was leveraging both the new, but in a way that we built something that could be scalable or sustained. Fine, it was okay if it failed and it didn't work. But if it does, it can bring a lot of change to the business. Mm, yeah, I mean, that's really interesting because I think there's there's, I don't know whether it's a misconception or whether it's just um, you know a bit of a fantasy that we tell ourselves sometimes. But I think you you know you you don't always have to be first; you just have to be best, <laughs> right? Ultimately, um, there's been many businesses that have been a proven example of of that, right? Where they've tried something first and ultimately been overtaken by people that have theoretically adopted years later and just figured out a way to do it better, more scalable, whatever the case may be. So that's a, a really interesting point. How does all of this then tie together? So you think about the so what and how you now deliver that and the you know the tangible business value and outcomes that that you drive off the back of this, you know, uh, kind of slightly different way of working, I guess. How does that translate to how you've had to think about structuring your team and capability internally from, you know, the kind of op model if if you will? So again, it's it's about the right mix of skills. And uh, there's no formula for this. It would be amazing if there was. Um, I'd buy it in a second off a white paper. But it really, again, depends on the size of your business, what you're trying to achieve. And going back to this, honestly, I'm the queen of boring, but going back to the strategy of what you want to do, um, then it can help you build the right team. And so Within Barilla, we've got a real mix from deep technical um, data scientists, solution architects and engineers through to um, people who can help with the data translation, product adoption and product analysis onto the insight generation and adoption and in embedding this deeply within the organization. And then also the support of the right technologies and technology teams. So it's real kind of a quadrant of expertise. And all of this is brought together by also having the line of capabilities deeply rooted within this team so that we can ensure that everything we're pushing out is used at the right moment by the right business and they know how to adopt it. And so whether that's aligning the time we deliver insights with the financial planning calendar or the brand planning calendar, whether it's about making sure we have it in the same format that they have in these strategic meetings or making sure we upskill them in the new areas ahead of the game so it's not a surprise when it lands at their desk. Together, it's about having the right misks. And again, it's about that diversification of backgrounds. So within my team, I've got people who have worked in media agencies through to very technical 
operations in a huge production plan in data science. I've got people who have no at all data background, but have just self-taught. And I've got people who have just purely commercial knowledge, but can help guide the team. There's people who have our graduates. We are building a partnership right now with the university through to people with 40 years under their belt. Every single person has an incredible perspective, incredible skills and experience, and they can bring it together to drive business value. And so a brilliant blend is all I ever recommend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talk um, at Orbition Group quite a lot about diversity of thought, right? You know, and there's there's obviously and very rightly so a lot of emphasis on diversity and inclusion more holistically, but um, a lot of the work we do in terms of helping organizations to build diverse teams is very much thinking about, you know, not everybody needs to be a computer science graduate that sits within this track, right? You know, and, and I think we're starting to to see the industry kind of move in the right direction with that. You know, we're getting a lot of like data academies where you have now people sole job is to help with the cultural piece or the comms piece or, you know, and all of these more business facing roles which which help with adoption, which I think is is really good. Um you just reminded me because it's quite exciting. So in-house, um, someone in my team, he's absolutely brilliant, um, Enrico. He's built a in-house training course, actually, a bit of an academy in Python and SQL. So he's completely built it himself, branded it. And we've now been taking people from even non-traditional data backgrounds, so sales analysts or people working in finance and HR, through this course and now they're really coming on board they're joining many of our hackathons they're helping build products so again it's about building a healthy pipeline of people into this area without a traditional again stem or um, external background it's about how do we create people who know barilla inside and out know what barilla is doing and then train them on data that's when you're going to have a, a real winning team mm-hmm. yeah absolutely a couple of Final questions for me then. I'm, I'm interested in terms of the piece of how you've tackled the whole, you know, adoption challenge. And obviously I think the so what here plays a massive kind of part in how that's worked for you from a, a business, you know, getting results and, and, and value perspective. Um, obviously you get the whole debate around top down, bottom up. Uh, has there any, been anything tangible that you've done to kind of, you know, bring the business on the journey of how, you know, of the journey that you've been on in terms of doing things slightly differently and kind of, you know, attacking the so what? From our side, I think with every organisation, it's always an ongoing journey. And I don't want to say that adoption here has been fully cracked and we've got nothing more to learn. Because <laughs> I think with every single organisation, there's always challenges when it comes to embedding data and analytics and aligning it with business needs. But that being said, I think the key things we're doing to help embrace and really move to that so what, first and foremost is collaborative and engaging activities where we bring the organization together and excite them around data. So for the last two years since joining Barilla, I've been hosting our Festival of Data every year. This is a two-day event where we bring in industry partners, Microsoft, Meta, Google, plus all of our commercial teams and help over two days, whether it's from keynotes or hands-on learning. Every day we have a few hours of getting people using the analytics solutions we've built 
and thinking how they can drive them into the business. It always creates a lot of excitement. And this year was really exciting because actually it was the business presenting a lot of the tools, not us, um, and talking about how it's really changed their way of working day in and day out. Ongoing communication is key and making sure we've got the right formats for that and a really robust capabilities program to support to get to the so what. And lastly, it's just about being there and listening. Um, We need to make sure we're hearing the needs of the business. And so I strongly always encourage my team, they have to have regular connects with all of their counterparts in the business, even just to say, what's new? What's your biggest challenge? Because otherwise, we can keep building something, but we know day in, day out now, the world's changing so quickly. We need to make sure we've got the right knowledge to stay ahead of that curve and keep meeting the needs of the business too. Yeah, 100%. I guess if there's any data leaders out there listening to this, what kind of actionable steps would you recommend they take to kind of ensure that they are getting that balance right between, you know, um, their efforts around being technically sound, but also being strategically impactful? And I guess, where do you see the role of the data leader and how that might evolve within that, you know, the context of that question? Good question. I would always strongly recommend getting out of your day-to-day role and going and almost being a shadow (laughs) um, to many of your counterparts and peers day in and day out to listen to just their normal day-to-day working. So whether it's customer meetings, whether it's client meetings, strategic planning meetings or more, the more exposure you have to the way the business works, the stronger you're going to be able to make sure your needs um, and your team deliver to the needs of the business. Ensure that you're expanding your network and listening to all the great resources out there. Big plug for this podcast. There is so much knowledge on it that as every single time I listen to it, it made me think, hmm, okay, I could do this. And it's it's always helped and it's always really push the boundaries. Um, And lastly, I think it's just around taking five, you know, now and then to step back out of the day-to-day. Too often as data, we tend to be so bogged down in the delivery or the operations or the firefighting to say, is what I'm doing actually going to drive value? And it's about taking a step away, being honest with yourself. You might even need to remove some of the work your team's working on and making sure that Overall, what you do is both technically sound, but also strategically impactful for for your organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, Lindsay, look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I know there'll be a, a lot of people will get immense value from uh, from listening to this. And uh, thank you for that plug. That was great. I might uh, snip that up and use it for promotional purposes, if that's all right. Um, Deal. There you go. As long as we get the royalties. <laughs> there you go. Um, but look, great to speak to you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, we look forward to speaking to you again soon. No, thank you so much. And um, I'm just really grateful for the opportunity to chat to a fellow Mancunian about data. So thank you so much and uh, speak to you very soon. I might have to put put subtitles on, but there you go. (laughs) (laughs) That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, 
please follow our Bishon group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. 